Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode four of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through various Star Wars novels, both in legends and canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we will continue through Star Wars Thrawn, covering chapters 7 and 8, and I am joined today by my good friend and even greater Star Wars fan, Connor Floyd. Connor, how are you doing, man? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on the show. If you could just give a little background on the, the beginnings of your Star Wars fandom, and also specifically with Thrawn as a character and Thrawn as a book. Okay. Uh, I feel like everybody has the same memory of becoming a child, uh, becoming a child, becoming a... <laughs> A Star Wars fan, which is you blink suddenly you're conscious and you're seeing a lightsaber turn on for the first time yes. and you're like, what? <laughs> um, and I don't like you. It just grows. And suddenly you start looking past the lightsaber and you start seeing who's holding the lightsaber and yeah. you start realizing, oh, there's way more to this. Now there's stuff in the room that you're really interested in too, right? Imperial corridors. Oof, such oh, an aesthetic. So good. Yeah. Very. That's, um, that's the one thing the Imperials got down like really well. The yeah. Aesthetic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I've been a fan my whole life. Um, when it comes to Thrawn, I can't remember if it was somebody recommending it to me or if I happened to just stumble upon it on Audible. But either way, my first experience was Heir to the Empire by Timothy mm. Zahn. And um, it was specifically with Audible, though. So it okay. felt like it was a whole radio show. Um, it was it was the coolest experience to be introduced to a character that you've never met before. And yeah, I've just he's such a great character because it's like we all love Emperor Palpatine because he just yeah. plays 4D chess the whole time. It's like Thrawn <laughs> does that, but without the force. So yes. it's, it's just so much more, so much respect for him. And then as far as this is my first time reading this book in particular, so it feels really cool to have Timothy Zahn come back to a character that he's already done and established. Yeah. Almost an entirely new way because I know I, I've read Heir to the Empire but I haven't got to the next uh, next two books in the trilogy and obviously these take place in different timelines Heir to the Empire was post Return of the Jedi and this is in a, in a phase of Thrawn's life that none of us have had access to so yeah welcome to the journey first of all yeah, first time you. through the book I hope I hope you've been enjoying it I mean I've been really impressed with Zahn's writing in both the canon trilogy so far and the, the Legends trilogy as well yeah I think he captures Thrawn's character really, really well. So welcome aboard. Yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> welcome aboard to the Blood Crow, because that is where we will be yes. starting with Thrawn and co. Um, yeah, so I'll start it. I'll dive into the chapter summary for chapter seven, and then we'll get stuck right into it. Cool. Thrawn and the crew of the Blood Crow are surprised by the sudden departure of their well-respected Captain Virgilio and the promotion of the inexperienced Philia Rossi to take his place. Rossi does not hide her disdain for Thrawn and Eli, it's against the Navy's protocol and tradition for anyone but the captain of a ship to have an aide. During her initial tour of the Blood Crow, Rossi is outraged to discover Thrawn has been storing antique equipment from the Clone Wars in one of the storage bays. However, Thrawn convinces her to let him continue refurbishing them after he tells her how valuable they can be. Rossi sends Thrawn, Eli, and three others to respond to a distress call from the freighter Dromedar. On board, Eli encounters a lone crew member who informs them that pirates ambush the Dromedar. Thrawn and his crew attempt to fix the Dromedar's hyperdrive. So we're thrown right into Eli and Thrawn's. They, they've already been part of the Blood Crow's crew for a time now. Yeah, 18 months. 18 months, which is, you know, quite a quite a substantial time jump from where we last left them off with Eli just totally pissed at his uh, <laughs> assignment as Thrawn's <laughs> aide, which, you know... <laughs> But then he life. loves it. But then he loves it. Does he, though? I mean, because we're introduced to uh, the new Captain Rossi. But before we get to her, 
let's let's talk about our guy Virgilio, Rip Captain Virgilio, R.I.P. to the big man. Um, so he was the initial captain of the Blood Crow, and like everyone who meets Thrawn, you know, no one's really expecting to to encounter or to meet an alien, so to speak, in the Imperial Navy. And it took him a while to kind of get comfortable and used to Thrawn's mannerisms and the way that he worked, but they ended up having a pretty solid relationship from captain to a second weapons officer, and he actually ended up promoting Thrawn to first weapons officer, which props to Thrawn, but also props to Virgilio, because from what we'd heard from the Imperial Navy, from Eli's thoughts and conversations with Thrawn at the Imperial Academy, the Navy doesn't take too well to yeah. to non-humans in their ranks. But here is this Imperial captain, Virgilio, setting a, pre- a pretty good example, promoting Thrawn and, and advocating for him. Yeah, what, what did you think about from what we read about Captain Virgilio. He was an immediately interesting person to read about. You see that he's a forward thinker. You see he clearly yes. utilizes the resources that he has. I also like the little line where Vanto says that he like kind of tests the limits of Thrawn's knowledge and mm. skills himself. So it's 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 really interesting that he sees how useful he is. He promotes him up. But there's, there's the line that they uh, show you that he would tote the line between following orders and flexibility. Mm. So it seems like he's a very free thinker in the Empire, which is not something we've seen so far. It was really exactly. interesting. Yeah, it makes it even more of a travesty because we read that the Imperial High Command suddenly gets rid of him. The, the crew of the Blood Crow don't even know what happened to him. They just know it was sudden, it was quick, they got little to no information about why he left so they can assume that he was quietly let go. We as readers can assume that they're not happy with the relationship that this captain has developed with Thrawn because you know th- there, there must be a lot of jealousy and envy because we know how power hungry the imperials that we've been introduced to are that seems kind of in their nature so we know that they don't want thrawn to succeed we kind of got that from his first introduction into the royal imperial academy where dean lark just spat in his face and everyone kind of followed suit there and my question to you is so so they bring in this new inexperienced captain rossi and kind of like along the lines of how we were introduced to Dean Lark, she is immediately unlikable. Because, you know, we're trying to stand by Thrawn. We, we know what he's capable of. We also feel bad for him because he's, he hasn't had the easiest road so far, uh, to say the least. And what, you know, one of her first interactions with him is, is questioning it's him like, and demeaning stuff off him. My exactly, ship. <laughs> right? And, and, and we'll get to that whole spiel. But my, my question to you is, so they get rid of Virgilio, a competent well-respected captain. He has a good tenure, a good resume. For someone less experienced, just to, we can assume, spite Thrawn, or just to kind of inhibit that progress. And and my question is, at what cost is the Empire doing this? Because Virgilio's record, you know, he had a lot of success in thwarting smugglers and aiding distressed vehicles, as the text is saying, and diffusing potential damaging political situations. Yeah. And they just get rid of him because they want to, or at least my thought is, they want to make life harder for Thrawn. And at what cost do they do this? That also breaks into the the very, like, interesting philosophy that the Empire seems to have that Palpatine, I guess, is okay with pushing, which is like, right, like if one person's flying away, let's throw 1,000 TIE fighters at him just to make sure one of them makes that shot, right? (laughs) Like, it's a very interesting use or lack thereof of their own resources. I like I, I just hope he got a nice gig after this. I hope so cuz he's you know, very clearly competent yes. like you said. So he's somebody you want on your side. And also the fact that he was able to maintain positive relationships with governors and other politicians that he came into contact with. Yeah. And as far as Pierce was concerned, it's not the case. So you see it's not an easy water to float in and yet Virgilio was able to do it perfectly. And so yeah. it's 
At what cost? I couldn't tell you. Because we gather from, you know, from what we've seen in in the movies, and I'm watching Rebels now, and I'm gathering that a lot in Rebels. Thrawn has just been introduced in the show from where I am right now, so that's that's fun. That's, but it's such a good ride. It, but it's it's very much as listeners, if you haven't started watching Star Wars Rebels, um, which I know I'm late to the show, so I, maybe all of you have seen it. But for anyone who hasn't yet visited that show, brief tangent go do it. It is worth it, and it gets better as it goes on. And we get to see our guy Thrawn do some damage uh, yeah. for the Imperials, which I guess we kind of don't want if we're, if we're supporting the, the Rebels in that show. But it is a great show. Go watch it. can highly recommend. Um, but what we gather from the Imperials in the movies and in Rebels is that they have this kind of like bumbling nature around them. You know, that they're, they're, they're not as efficient as they could be. And it seems like it's just so counterintuitive for them to have gotten rid of Virgilio, but yet they do it maybe just to prove a point against Thrawn, which I thought was, it's just stupid. <laughs> but, it's 100, it's yeah. a horrible decision. Uh, but but they go ahead with it, and here Rossi is. This is her first time in command of a cruiser. She had served aboard an orbiting defense platform, and for the past year it said that she had been a first officer aboard a, uh, an ore freighter escort, and now she's in command of a ship. So inexperienced, you know, she's got some military experience, but as far as commanding a ship, this is her first gig. So she's taking her initial tour of the Blood Crow. <laughs> it's such a good name for the ship. It really like, is. I, it, it really is. Out. It sticks it. out. It, it's great. That's, I, I think I mentioned this last episode. That's another thing the Imperials get right is like the, they know the how to name their, things. Exactly, <laughs> they know how to name things, and their aesthetic is prime. So <laughs> that's all they need, right? <laughs> Who needs you know proper training for their stormtroopers' aim and all that, you know, <laughs> or how to properly manage uh, what to do with their officers and not yeah. just let them go to prove a point. So she's taken her initial tour of the ship. She's got a, a line of her officers behind her, including Thrawn and Eli. They're joining her, and they reach the number two storage bay. And I thought it was a funny picture where, because Eli and Thrawn are at the back of this procession, and all of the officers, as soon as they reach the storage bay, they all just part ways because they know what's coming, and that is <laughs> Rossi angrily calling for Thrawn to get in there to answer to what she's just seen. And they, they, they all know what's coming because Thrawn's been there for 18 months, and so they, they probably know his mannerisms and you know what he collects. And yeah. that happens to be a pile of Clone War-era antiques and equipment and machinery. And so he gets called in there because Rossi's looking at this pile of equipment. And this, this ranges from even even things like droidicas and buzz droids, which I thought was a cool little callback. Yeah, <laughs> that, like shiver up my back. I was like, oh, that's so nice. Right? Which also, I didn't. I don't know if you, if you knew this, but droidicas, I only found this out recently, they are like six feet tall, which how scary is that? That's yeah. I don't think I ever knew yeah. that. That's yeah. <laughs> so that that is a tangent, but like, I recently learned that. I was like, wow, that is a good horrifying. Size. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, he has this pile of Clone War antique equipment and machinery, and uh, <laughs> I just had this thought of like, if Thrawn's sitting there just putting his collections together and he's refurbishing them and he's trying to find the droidicas, I thought that was a great moment for like, he's sifting through the pile like, where are those droidicas? <laughs> <laughs> But it's like a bad <laughs> feeling. It's like a, a course of uh, lines that just carry through that universe where everyone ends up saying it at least yes. one point in their life. Oh, and there'll be uh, oh there there'll be another one of those moments. Um, I think at the end of chapter eight, I've, I I got a little note, but he starts to explain to Rossi that he found the buzz droids useful and that he wanted to refurbish them. And this is an interesting moment between Rossi and Thrawn. He starts to explain what buzz droids do, and Rossi cuts him off and says, and I quote, spare me the lecture. You may have read about the Clone Wars, but some of us have lived it. And I instantly thought back to 
what Eli was saying in, in one of the previous chapters, where the narrative that is promoted and perpetuated in the Empire is that humans bore the brunt of the blow in the Clone Wars. And she doesn't know Thrawn. You know, maybe she's read his file, maybe she hasn't. We don't know that. We just know that this is one of their first interactions. And she, right off the bat, assumes that he knows nothing about the struggle of the Clone Wars. And he, she assumes he didn't fight in it, he doesn't know about it, and he has no right to speak about it. And it heavily implies that she herself fought in them, maybe conversely that other humans like her fought in the Clone Wars, and that there he is having no right to speak about about that conflict. What did you think about that? It was a brief interaction, but I just instantly thought back to that narrative that is pr- kind of falsely uh, yeah. perpetuated. I It was weird because I it, it immediately painted a picture of her thinking that Thrawn might be like younger than her. And I just have always had this in the back of my head that he's just like older than most people around him mm. that he's speaking to. He's just, he's simply new to the civilization. So that's that's kind of like, right, like a, like a babe walking for the first yeah. time. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it posed a really interesting question. One, did she actually, or is she True. just hiding behind a, a veiled excuse to get him to shut up? Yeah. Um, Which but, is also possible. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like, I don't, I, I question how many people in the empire are actual survivors of the previous war or how many of them are just riding the coattails of its shadow and just being like, I was there too. You know, it was a horrible time to be there. Thank God the baddies showed up. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it, it was interesting. But that is an interesting point that we can infer that she assumes that Thrawn is younger and less experienced than the young and inexperienced officer that she is. Right. Um, like you haven't been in school in 12 years, dude. Right. There's a lot you haven't learned. <laughs> It's it's kind of solidifies this picture of arrogance, one hundred percent, which is which is totally true from what we've from most of what we've read about them, and she is really feeding into that preconception yeah. that we have. Um, can I can I, t- can I talk about Virgilia real quick? Yeah, sure. So we to go backwards. We were talking about how like at what cost are you going to you know shoot yourself in the foot and move on from it? So I think it's really interesting, and I think it's very possible that this is going to parallel Thrawn's trajectory and his path that he walks. So uh, Virgilio very much kind of seemed like a Thrawn-like character, mm. somebody who could understand when to bow and when to make sure. ex- exceptions, yet he was kicked out. We don't know why. We yeah. can assume that it was probably for that reason. Yet I think it's safe to say, as we see in Rebels, that doesn't happen to Thrawn. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see this clash of the Emperor's wants and needs versus like kind of the, the grander hive mind, the, the hierarchy that exists without yeah. the Emperor being there. Because while he does have his own things that he wants to happen, ultimately other people are doing it. So you're creating this whole other atmosphere that exists within another atmosphere. Yeah. And it's very interesting to see that polarization of personalities and things happening. And Thrawn is still getting his path, which is the same thing that the Emperor wants. But it's really interesting that the Empire is able to kind of like drag their feet and kind of throw things at him yeah. at every step of the way, which isn't necessarily preventing him from getting there. It's just, True. they kind of get to openly scream about it. It's and, and I wonder, because that's, that's a really good point, because we know that Thrawn is kind of quote-unquote protected by the Emperor's will, that Emperor Palpatine has big plans for, for him. He knows what he's capable of strategically, militarily. And yet, yeah, Imperial High Command, maybe as a whole, has just been actively working against Thrawn in any kind of small way that they can. Part of me wonders and probably guesses that Palpatine knows this, and maybe yeah. it's a test, because he has to be sure, you know, because if Thrawn is going to, you know, we know that he ends up as a Grand Admiral in the Imperial Navy, so we know that you know, there's only upwards for our guy. But I wonder if Palpatine knows this, and this is an active test to see how much Thrawn can handle, because one of the weaknesses that we know about Thrawn, one of his few weaknesses, 
is that he's he's very inexperienced in the political field. Yes. And and that is a wave that they're very good at riding. 100%. A lot of political backstabbing and maneuvers behind the scenes. And Thrawn is thrown into this. And, and part, yeah, part of me wonders, do you think this is a, a partially a test for Palpatine? It's, it's got to be. It's, it's a very fluid environment that if you want somebody to succeed, they're going to have to be exposed to it. It's the same yeah. concept of, you know, like Darth Vader exists as like the shadow of the emperor, right? He's a he's a horrific legend in the empire. Not a lot of people even get to work with him or see what Darth Vader does. But as Rebels shows us, the Inquisitors exist. Yes. And they live in a constant quest to prove that they're way better than Darth Vader. It's this constant struggle. It's a whole ladder that everybody is climbing, yeah. clamoring over themselves. So we have Tarkin, we have Emperor Palpatine, Darth Vader, and now we have the origin story of like the future character to sit in yeah. that room with them. And it's it's interesting to see him like make this like actually make the quest happen. Yes. As opposed to everybody else just seamlessly, you know, insert spawn command here and they're yeah. just there and they have it. And we're seeing this this very difficult and real road to because yeah, he was given the lieutenant rank upon graduation, but there's still so much work for Thrawn to do. Absolutely. And it's just a great insight into the interworkings of the Empire, but also just a fascinating story to see how he got there. Yeah. And, and it's proving to be very entertaining um, and to see how he's slowly being able to master the game. Learning and he, how to play the game. And he wouldn't be able to master it without Eli Vanto. Yes. And that's another thing, too. I think he's... To see him slowly growing up and becoming somebody that we didn't see at the beginning of the book is a very yep. interesting path. And I'll get to this a little bit later in the in the chapters that we're dealing with here, but Eli Stock has risen so much for me over the course of these chapters. We'll, we'll get to we'll Okay, get there. Uh, that's we'll, good. We'll, that's we'll good. Eli. But actually, yeah, so, so speaking of Eli, because the, the first kind of section of this chapter was in Eli's point of view, and we get his thoughts on Rossi, and he notes that she she was inexperienced, but she had connections in Imperial High Command, which we can assume played a big part in how she got to she got the promotion that she was given. And I think Thrawn, because we're still we're we're in the hangar and he's trying to justify himself having these this Clone War era equipment to Rossi. And Thrawn takes this information that Eli, I assume they had discussed this beforehand, they had discussed this beforehand that, that she was playing on connections and power. And he takes this knowledge and works it brilliantly because you know, he obviously wants to keep working on the equipment that he's salvaged and, and stored up in the hangar bays, but he has to give her a reason to let him do that because he notes, he, and he tells her, ultimately, all the property on this ship belongs to the captain. So all that equipment, although Thrawn has stored it up, it's ultimately Rossi's property. And he has to convince her to let him keep it. And we're given the buzz droids. Thrawn notes that they are of the, the Mark I variant, and, and these were discontinued because they have Dunium, which is the very valuable ore that we were told about with Price's mining company, or her former mining company. It's a very valuable metal, and this comprised as the, the shell for the Buzz Droid's inner core. And when Thrawn tells her that these are Mark I's, he doesn't tell her that, that Dunium is within the Buzz Droids, but we have this brief glimpse kind of like this brief twitch where she was reaching for her data pad to kind of like confirm like, oh wait, Mark 1s, I know how valuable these can be. And Thrawn tells her, yeah, so Mark 1s are pretty valuable and with your connections in high command, you know, if you let me touch these up, there's some people Turn in high command that could be it. very interested in the profits that, uh, in the equipment and then Rossi can make a, a pretty penny off of it. And I thought that Thrawn played that brilliantly where he's, ta he's given this information that she feeds off of power and connections and he just manipulates her in that moment by just, just telling her, hey, yeah, these are Mark Ones. 
and knowing that the seed that's planted there is just gonna, first of all, she lets him keep the buzz droids and the rest of the equipment because she's, okay, yeah, if he keeps working on these, I can end up making a, a profit. Also uh, just I, makes her look good in the process. Exactly. She's like, oh, well, I wanted him to keep him, obviously. Uh, and, and I thought that was a great moment from Eli where, yeah, so Rossi lets him keep the equipment because she figures, oh my gosh, you know, I totally won the situation. He's gonna end up, these, these are gonna end up being mine. I'll sell them off and I'll look good. And Eli's talking to Thrawn where he says, and I quote, she'll wait until she's alone and then no doubt she will congratulate herself on her memory and insight and on putting <laughs> one over on her poor naive weapons officer. <laughs> and how Eli and Thrawn realized that they just subtly played the shit out of her in that it's, moment. <laughs> they have a, it's cool seeing their friendship grow too. Like I, and just, and that's a brief interaction with Eli that just makes it seem like he's more chummy with Thrawn as opposed to like, uh, okay, I guess we'll do it this way. Like, he seems way more privy to, to Thrawn's uh, inner workings. It's nice to see. And and we get a lot of, actually, a, a good few more of those instances in, um, in these two chapters where clearly their relationship has grown. We can assume for better if they're having these kind of, like, chummy moments, uh, like, you, like you say. Might you say it um, exploded like a Tabana canister? Hey! <laughs> actually, I got, a little com- uh, I got a little note onto the Tabana gas once we get to the Tremodar. Um <laughs> But I, I do have to note that, so Thrawn had told Rossi that he's still working on the buzz droids. And when she leaves, Eli kind of side-eyes him and says, you didn't happen to tell her that they're fully operational, right? And he's like, she did not ask. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that, that's when he's like, and Dalen also did not speak of it. <laughs> yeah. So I can assume he's not going to talk about it. Yeah, and it, that's actually, uh, that's good that you bring up Dalen. He was the senior lieutenant uh, accompanying Rossi on her her tour, and there was multiple moments in that whole interaction because Rossi's just being rude as hell towards Thrawn, and she can because she's the captain. She knows that she can say whatever she wants, and if anyone talks back, you know, speaking against your captain. But there's a few moments where Dalen tried to speak up in defense of Thrawn, and that was both in his body language, where he you know he was kind of like shifting uncomfortably when she was just calling him out incessantly, and he also actively tried to speak up and, and justify what Thrawn was doing, and I think that speaks loads to Thrawn, because he has clearly garnered the and, and earned the respect of the crew and the officers on the Blood Crow. What did you make of uh, of Dayland in, in that whole interaction? Because I was, I was impressed with him. I was wondering at times if he was trying to defend Thrawn, or if he was kind of just trying to defuse the situation for the sake of everyone else around them. What did you think about that? It was a very clear indication that Virgilio operated a very forward-thinking ship. The fact that he had Dayland under him as well, and it wasn't just Captain Virgilio, made me like both of them all the more. And also, there's, I I officially, I was like, I love you, homie. At the very (laughs) end of that whole situation, when Rossi walks off, and she's like, I'm not going to hear your alternative. And then uh, Dayland goes, uh, may I hear the alternative then? And she looks at him and is like, clearly no one cares about protocol, whatever. Do what you want. And that's, I just, it seems like in 18 months, more people than Eli Vanto have fallen head over heels for Thrawn yeah. in their own way. And it's it's really nice to see. It was, it's, I mean, it's, it's good to see since pretty much Eli was the only guy on his side in the Imperial Academy. And here he is having you know the senior lieutenant of the ship vouching for him. And when he did speak up to hear the alternative, that was in regards to Thrawn presenting his case of Rossi being able to sell the equipment to the Imperial High Command for a profit. That's what Thrawn was trying to say. But she wouldn't let him say it until Dalen was like, actually, I think I, think I want to hear what he has to say. <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh, fine, jeez. <laughs> um, and she says, uh, you can keep the, the buzz droids till Anson. 
Yes. Or Anshin, however you say Anshin. it. Yeah, Anshin, I think. Yeah. So three months to work on the buzz droids. Yeah. And clearly Thrawn doesn't even need that time because they're already <laughs> functional. So, But that's, that's a win for Thrawn and also a win for Dayland, I think. Uh, Senior Lieutenant Dayland for stepping up. And it says that he gave a small smile of satisfaction uh, when she granted Thrawn the three months and left. So yeah, the, uh, the Blood Crow gets a distress call from the Dromedar. And this freighter is carrying static-locked Tibana gas. And Tibana gas is... It's valuable, it is used in hyperdrives and weaponry, and it's also highly explosive, so kind of dangerous too. Uh, and in my little research of Tabana gas, because I, you know, I, I wasn't really familiar with what static lock Tabana gas was. I wasn't either, but I loved reading about it. I didn't realize that in episode five, when Luke is fighting Vader in Bespin, when he kind of like pulls that uh, pipe and sprays this gas on Darth Vader, that's Tabana gas. Dear he's, Lord. <laughs> he sprayed Vader with Tabana gas when they dueled. So I thought that was cool. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, there we go. We already. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, it's so, so it's, it's highly explosive and very difficult to move when it is static locked. And if Rossi is expecting them to move these Tabana gas cylinders from the Dromodar back to the Blood Crow, that's just going to be insanely difficult for Thrawn and co to do so maybe she's setting them up for failure there i loved reading about the the just finding out about static locking i just like i still don't even really understand it but i guess everything like there's a static charge that just uh, just magnetizes all of the dust and then having having it be such a dusty environment it was it was a very informative bit on a section of star wars that like we see all the time but we never actually know the science behind it yeah still don't know much but really enjoyed seeing some other words about it that was, I mean, and that was something I had to reread multiple times because I was very confused about the whole static locking. But yeah, so so if they are going to have to move the static lock to Bana, that could provide some problems for them. So we find Eli, and there's a few others that join them. He's uh, Eli himself when they're he's moving towards the engine section, and he's with electronics and engineering techs, Leneo and Jakeeb, uh, a couple crew from the Blood Crow. And they're stopped with someone with a blaster because the ship was derelict. It was abandoned. They're not expecting anyone to be there. They ran a, a scan for life forms, and I think the static locking was interfering with the electronics. But from what they could gather, they didn't see any life forms yeah. on their scans. They said nothing interesting nothing or nothing yet. worth noting or something. Yeah. And they get stopped, you know, held at blaster point. But the next scene is, uh, so everything turns out all right. We're told that the guy who pulled the blaster on them, his name is Signy. And Eli, Jakeeb, and Leneo, they bring this man, Signy, to the bridge where Thrawn is waiting with one of the other crew from the Blood Crow, Ensign Barlin, I think that was his name. And Signy tells them that, hey, I uh, thought you were pirates. The ship was attacked by pirates. I thought you were one of them. I didn't know. That's why I, I pulled the blaster. And clearly he can tell that they're not because Eli is now holding his blaster, gives it to Thrawn, and all is well. Seemingly, Signy, yeah, he he claims that the the Dromedar was attacked by pirates and that he managed to get away. He ran away. It's kind of vague. You know, he's stuttering. He seems nervous and anxious. Which you know, if they got attacked by pirates, that's totally fair. Um, but that's the the narrative that he's telling them. We got attacked by pirates. I thought you were one of them, but clearly clearly you're not. You're here to help us. Thank you. He apologizes. Yes. To the Empire for pulling a blaster on them. And they take it pretty well, which I thought was super interesting. That is not yeah. the response I would have expected to hear. Yeah, what, 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 how, how would have things played out? And uh... I, well, I was, it's, so this is actually, this is a point I meant to bring up earlier in regards to Captain um, Virgilio, but it plays in with this, is that Captain Virgilio was known for stopping smugglers and basically saving people. Yeah. He sounds like a great dude. 
Um, now we go to this part where someone pulls a blaster on Imperials and it apologizes deeply and says, I did not know you were Empire. I honestly thought you were bandits. I'm so sorry. And it's handed well. So it's really interesting to see, at least from the Imperial point of view, yeah. that they're not doing anything wrong and that citizens yeah. are kind of like, okay with this authoritative figure and it also we they don't seem so authoritative at the moment yeah so it was interesting to see a very like by all accounts pleasant interaction with a civilian you know because you might have expected the imperials to maybe treat this guy signy a little bit poorly after that that he just drew exactly on the matter of nowhere but it's handled yeah pretty pretty civilly pretty um you know, pretty calmly and and the, the situation is diffused. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good point and kind of is a testament towards the crew that Virgilio in, in his time was able to to grow like these level-headed maybe decent yeah. imperials which you know I, don't, I never thought that i would say that so thrawn after hearing out signy he, he tells eli to contact the blood crow and he's requesting a full operational crew to assist on the ship while he and the crew that he has with him eli leneo jakeeb barlin they try to restart the dromedar's hyperdrive and leneo chips in that there is apparently a leak in the main reactor and Signy <gasps> hurriedly tells them, yeah, oh wait, I forgot to tell you that. Don't go in there. There's a leak. Sorry. And that's how the chapter ends. I don't know if you have any extra thoughts uh, on chapter seven before we move on. Well, it's the thought I end every chapter with, which is these chapters are relatively short. They're easy to read through. There's enough information to get you excited. But every freaking chapter feels like an episode of a TV series that I haven't seen. Or, or that a show like a show that I've already seen. I don't know. I get feelings like I'm watching Firefly again. There, there, there's there's quick-witted dialogue. I, I can see the environment perfectly. And this is our first time where we got to leave ship and go to another yeah, ship, exactly. which was really exciting. I mean, credit to Zahn and his writing and, and, and just the picture that he's able to paint for us. You know, it, it's kept me hooked. Yeah. it's And it's also, I feel like this is less... And I don't say this as an insult at all, but I feel like this is less writing than what I'm used to him doing. But he seems to handle it perfectly. I'm not yeah. ending a chapter going, I'm not learning a lot. Like, this sucks, man. This seems like a, yeah. you should be writing more. He's, he's able to do a lot in a small amount of time, and yes, I like that a lot. which is great, which is really good. So thank you, Timothy Zahn. So we'll jump into Chapter 8. I got my summary here, and then we'll break it down. Excellent. Captain Rossi denies Thrawn's request for a larger crew to assist them on the Dromedar. While the Blood Crow responds to another distress call, Thrawn and company are left to assist the Dromedar. Thrawn plans to use one of his buzz droids to cut free the Tabana cylinders, and they're able to restore the ship's hyperdrive. Suddenly, Signy reveals himself to be one of the pirates that ambushed the Dromedar and is joined by a dozen others who force Thrawn and the rest to surrender. They lock Thrawn and his crew in a cell on their own ship where they find the Dromedar's crew imprisoned. Signy and some others leave on the Dromedar while the remaining pirates prepare to transport their prisoners away. However, one of Thrawn's buzz droids frees them, while another cuts open the middle of the ship, sending the remaining pirates into the vacuum of space. So there's a lot to go through in this chapter. Can't wait to get to the end. Yeah, oh, it was great. <laughs> I, I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, so we're not really surprised that Rossi just flat out denies Thrawn's request for a larger crew to come help them. And I thought it was interesting because we had spoken about Eli and Thrawn's kind of chummier relationship, and clearly they're on better terms than they were from when they were at the Royal Imperial. Yet Thrawn tells Eli to give this call to Rossi. 
and Eli in this first scene, this call from Eli to to Rossi is in, obviously in Eli's point of view, and and we get this frustration from Eli because he knows that Rossi was never going to accept the, oh, the yeah. request, and he he's there wishing. He's like, you know, why didn't Thrawn just do it himself? And there he goes, sending me to do it for him, knowing this is just going to go piss poor. You know, he just threw me in here, you know, where he could have just very well given the call himself. And so clearly there's still some tension between Eli and Thrawn. It's still some frustration, still some, uh, you know, not everything's as cheery as we were led to maybe believe earlier. W- what did you think about that? It, it was a brief moment, but still we're, we're invited to this kind of renewed frustration from yeah. Eli to Thrawn. I, I, I feel like I'm, I have the same response with every question. I loved it, Andy. Let me tell you why. <laughs> but I really liked it because, yeah, he Eli immediately internally tells us, like, I fucking hate that this is happening. You could have easily done this yourself. Yeah. But I think he shows why he was the one sent because it was his first time of his own volition. He is critically thinking and critically applying that. And yeah. I think it's a really important part for him. And I think that was the first moment where I realized – oh my god, you're the squire to our blue knight. This is kind of cool, actually. You're getting groomed right now. He kind of plays Rossi a bit here, because the blood crew has to respond to another distress call. He's like, well, you know, you could just leave me and Thrawn here. It says in the text, and I quote, he would bet on the captain going with whatever option had the best chance of Thrawn blowing himself up. (laughs) And so he knows, like, uh, Rossi could be like, oh yeah, no, you guys stay, we'll go, see ya. Uh, we'll come back later when you've fixed everything. And, and, and she says, you know, you can have up to three crew if anyone decides to stay yeah, with you. if you can get anybody. And so she's assuming that no one's going to want to stay with these guys. Yet here we are. And this is, again, kind of in the similar lines of Lieutenant, uh, Senior Lieutenant Dayland having this respect for Thrawn, where Tex, Leneo, and Jakeeb and Ensign Barlin, they all opt to stay yeah. with Eli and Thrawn. And... Again, that was just that was a, a small move by them, but that shows you really how much respect and and maybe like just authority that Thrawn and also conversely Eli uh, ha- have so. have earned from the crew. Yeah, I also if we may use that what you um, that quote that you just gave where uh, Eli says he'd, he'd bet that she's going to go with the option that's going to get rid of her biggest problem. Yeah. Um, so that I really like the aptitude that he has for looking at the grander picture and he shows it when they go to the Royal Academy for the first time and he tells the he tells him straight up like this lieutenant's plaque is not a good thing for you. There's three different ways this can go. Yeah. All of them are negative. And it's really nice seeing that he's it's staying with him, that classic aptitude of knowing the politics behind everything. But now we're getting to see him actually zoom out a little bit more and see. Yeah. It seems like he's thinking similarly to Thrawn, which very much so. 18 months with him. Bound to have an effect because, you know, because we remember the times at the Royal Imperial where Eli was always thinking of himself yeah. and how this is going to affect his education, how, how this is going to affect his career. And yeah, here we are seeing him start to zoom out a little bit. And we already know that's one of Thrawn's hallmarks, is seeing the bigger picture. And that's also been noted in Rebels, where, you know, we need someone who sees the larger picture. And we're starting to see maybe why Thrawn wanted so much to have Eli as his aide, to keep Eli with him. And this is probably unbeknownst to Eli. He probably doesn't doesn't realize the larger purpose here from him to Thrawn, but we see his skills and his aptitude really start to evolve here. And this this was a great scene, a great section where we really were, were shown that, yeah. where he's, he's starting to think outside the box a little bit more. I got really proud of him when he puts his foot down after he was told no. And yeah. then he was just like, okay, well, alternative. Let's yep, right? do this. And she's like, yeah, fine. <laughs> it's like, okay, fine. And she, yeah, she wasn't happy that the three... 
amigos. others, the three amigos decided to stay with Eli and Thrawn. And I think there's a couple of points in this chapter where Eli, yeah, this is this chapter, his his stock really rises. Seriously, this was the first yeah. of a few moments, and, and there was like a, a small moment because Signy, we're still on the bridge where they're deciding what the plan of action now is going to be. And Signy is kind of side-eyeing Thrawn, like, and I'm quoting from the text, never heard of a non-human as an imperial officer. You're some sort of Pantoran, right? And, <laughs> and Pantorans are, were touched on in the Clone Wars. They are a blue-skinned, uh, non-human species. And I quote, Eli took a breath preparing to point out that Pantorans didn't have red eyes. And I, <laughs> end quote. And I can just imagine that he is fired up from from this call with Rossi that didn't go well. He still had to pull some strings. He got, you know, kind of got what he wanted in the end, but he's fired up. And he's just ready to end this man's career over just like a small detail. Well, actually, Pantorans don't have red <laughs> yeah. eyes, man. <laughs> I feel like if we could have the, the, the chiss understanding of people from Signe's point of view, it would have been like, um, it would have been like Thrawn's facial heat rises. <laughs> <laughs> throat tightens up and then he relaxes <laughs> the table turns and calmly says <laughs> of a sort yes <laughs> he, yeah he, he humors uh singing a little bit there but yeah i thought that was a, a little funny moment from eli where he's about to <laughs> yeah. roast this guy over that and so we're kind of we're taken to this the second scene second act of this chapter where we're in the cargo bay of the dromedar so thrawn had sent eli there to open up a crate that he had requested sent from the blood crow What's in the crate, man? What's in the box? (laughs) (laughs) And it contains a buzz droid. Eli's not expecting that. Signy shows up and he's like, is that a buzz droid? (laughs) (laughs) It's that thing from earlier. Um, Yeah, so it contains one of Thrawn's, in parentheses, fully operational buzz droids. And Thrawn, Eli, and Signy then enter the cargo bay of the Dromedar where Tech Jakeeb was taking some readings on the Tabana cylinders. And this was a confusing part that I had to reread a few times where it kind of explained the, oh, the yeah. issue of these cylinders. So they are locked to the hull of the Dromedar, but they're only locked from the side that's facing the cargo bay. So the rest of them are sealed firmly inside the hull. So the only way that they can access these cylinders is if they cut through the hull into one of these cylinders, break up one cylinder, and then kind of like move along the row and free these things from from kind of yeah. inside the hull. It was it was kind of confusing. Seems like a really weird protocol too. Like yeah, let's it, strap that valuable thing to the door. Yes. Yeah. And, and and they had been locked, so like there's no way of actually accessing them from the side face in the cargo bay. Yeah. They, they can't break the static lock, otherwise they'll probably like explode. I assume. Yeah. So they have to cut through one of them. So they have to sacrifice one of these cylinders, uh, expel its contents into space to you know, cut through it and, and release the other ones from behind, from the side that's not facing the cargo bay. And again, Tabana is expensive and that's a, a big loss, but then they would be able to, I think there's 20 of them. I yeah. think they'd be able to save the other 19. They'd be, be able to transport them out of the Dromodar if they need to at the cost of one, because these things are trickily locked yes. to, uh, to the hull. So at that moment, Ensign Barlin, he contacts Thrawn and lets him know that the hyperdrive is back and running. And this is where the fun begins. <laughs> Brilliant. So I, I really liked that part, though, where they're, they're explaining the locking mechanism. Yeah. And they, they notice that Thrawn has his head cocked a little bit to the left right. or the right. I don't remember what direction. Because he hears the generator coming back on. And just like, Ensign Barlin, did I just hear the hyperdrive yeah. get working? He's like, you absolutely did. <laughs> you, wow. <laughs> we already know his, his sight and his hearing are just like <laughs> yeah. top notch. And they're like, why is he cocking his head? Uh, oh, oh, he can hear that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a really cool, like, fun little detail. But... As you just said, this is where the fun begins. This is where the fun begins because Signy, the nervous wreck that they found on the ship, pulls a blaster on them. And it says that 
He's no longer looking nervous and stuttering. Instead, he looks, and I quote, quiet, calm, and supremely confident. And the more we learn about Signy in this chapter here, I saw a lot of parallels between him and Thrawn. Starting with that description, quiet, calm, and supremely confident. And he says, if you surrender, no one's harmed. Because he's joined by like a dozen other pirates, yeah. and they're all looking, you know, like big, burly guys with blasters. And Someone's got a braided beard. So Thrawn calm links Barlin and Laneo to surrender, so they all surrender without incident. And Angel, uh, one of Signy's uh, associates one of his henchmen says you know all right my ship's on the way and basically they're going to transport Thrawn and the others as well as the uh, Dromodar's imprisoned crew somewhere else we're not given the location but in these moments he diffuses Angel multiple times where Angel is this you know this braided pirate who really just he just wants to have a crack at these prisoners you know he he doesn't care if he roughs them up he doesn't care if if they get hurt in the process he's like oh things can happen you know uh there are prisoners from guardians of the galaxy right there we go but we get a lot about the the respect and the authority that signy commands and the way that he's able to defuse angel where and he tells angel they surrendered don't shoot don't harm them and so we can tell all right this guy although he's apparently you know quote unquote a bad guy now he has honor he says himself and i quote I get no particular enjoyment out of defeating my opponents. Which immediately made me think of Chapter 7's opening. Right, yeah. You want to take us back to that uh, internal monologue? Yeah, as soon as I can find myself back there. So Chapter 7 starts, and you get this inner monologue where it opens up with, and I quote, There is satisfaction in defeating an enemy, but one must never allow oneself to become complacent. There are always more enemies to be identified, faced, and vanquished. So it's really interesting to have a warrior in his own right openly admit that he doesn't have satisfaction in yeah. that. Which I thought, especially contrasted to this guy, Angel, who admits, I do enjoy. Um, yeah. Also, can we, go, can we go back? As everything happens, um, Signy says, and I quote, I'd appreciate it if you order Barlin and Lanio to surrender quietly. And I just love Thrawn's response is where he says, why should I deprive them of their right and duty to defend themselves? <laughs> It's like, dog, your guys are going to die if they do that. Just like, I mean, I, I think that, and maybe even like Thrawn knew that. Maybe he's just trying to test the, test the that's waters. A, that's a good point, yeah. Um, so maybe he was testing the waters there because this is a new enemy, like a new threat, like right out of nowhere, and he's yeah. trying to get a feel for test the situation. Test the limits maybe. of the skill and knowledge. Exactly, yeah. And like we had said, Signy was, was true to his word. They surrendered. He didn't want to harm them. And there's this big contrast with, with Angel who clearly doesn't care who gets hurt in the process. These are his prisoners. He can do whatever the hell he wants with them. And I thought that it was a very interesting parallel between Signy and Thrawn, because we, we talked about the way that Thrawn played Rossi with making a profit off of the equipment in the earlier chapter. And we see Signy use a very similar, if not identical, tactic here, where Angel seems to be the guy that, you know, he, he's, a, he's a pirate. He's all about the credits, the profit. Uh, he doesn't care how he gets there. And Signy tells him, I will give you this Mark I buzz droid, which you know how valuable they are. You can make thousands of credits of profit off of these as an insurance that they don't get harmed. And Angel immediately starts like licking his chops, like, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, they won't, they won't get harmed. You, fine. You, you win. <laughs> and it, it's subtle, but Signy knew exactly how to defuse that situation, and he, he knew exactly which buttons to press. Uh, on one of his henchmen here, and, and I thought that was a really brilliant moment. It was small, but it was brilliant, and it, it was pretty much exactly what we saw with Thrawn in yeah. the earlier chapter. Angel just seems like such a freaking investment to have on your team, man. Like, right? the fact that he just had to give away one of those buzz droids kind of hurt me. It was like, dude, you keep that. Technically, that's your plunder. Don't, exactly. It's not his. He didn't work for it. 
but maybe that's a testament to to his honor. You know, he 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 gave his word. No one's to be harmed. Yeah, an angel knows and to he's trust. Trying it. to see that through. There was another moment at the end of this scene where, after they had surrendered, and and Angel and Signy are having this little argument, where Signy says, and I quote, "You may not realize this, Angel, but it pays to build a reputation for keeping your word." And Angel immediately responds with, "Not to the folks I work with, it doesn't." And I just think that it seems like such a Thrawn-like character in Signy, where he knows the value of respect and leadership and what kind of authority that can command. And he know, he's won that, that brief battle with Angel. And I was very much reminded of, of a Thrawn-like character yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, he's pitted against Thrawn, but I think these connections are, are, are pretty cool. That's one thing that I think is interesting about this book is that they've been able to establish... It's a, whole, it's a book entirely about antagonists, right? On yeah. the moral spectrum. <laughs> but they're able to introduce characters that we kind of get to go, okay, I have like a... I have like a modicum of respect for you. I, I really appreciate the way that you go about things. And it's and then it carries over even into piracy now. And now we're yeah. now we're even not talking about the empire. We're talking about pirates, and we're having that same feeling for them. No, that's that's a really good point, and, th- and this is kind of a, a tangent, but that's part of the value in reading this book because I think a lot of the times, and, and and we do know that ultimately the Imperials are the bad guys. They do terrible. Wait, what? Things, right? Spoiler alert! Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Spoiler alert! If you didn't know, the Imperials are bad. Um, <sighs> Yeah, they do terrible things. You know, we see the Wookiees being enslaved uh, on, on Kashyyyk, no real concern for collateral damage in, in many situations. Yet this book is an insight into how there's, there's decent people in the Empire, like Eli, like Virgilio, like, you know, from what we see of the honor and the respect that Thrawn has, which that's at least my take on it, I, I can see... This, it's not as black and white as no, you know, Imperials are bad. And in this situation, not all pirates are bad. You know, yeah. With Signy being this very honorable, respectable person where you know, it, ultimately his agenda lies against Thrones, but the way that he goes about it, it's kind of like a moral gray area where we know that from, from our position, because we're, you know, we're supporting Thrawn and Eli in this, in this book, but a guy like Signy we can respect. Yeah. Uh, we don't necessarily have to like but we can see that there's more to it than just good and bad. Absolutely. Which I think credits Timothy Zahn and his writing and his character building and development in this book. Uh, I think he did a really good job. Yeah, he really did. So we're taken to the next phase of this uh, of the chapter where this is in Thrawn's point of view, and Angel, Signy, and, and the rest of the pirates are taking Thrawn and Eli uh, with Jaki, Barlin, and Lanio to their own pirate ship, and they're locking them up there. And this is a, a great moment from Eli, where they're, they're on the way, and Signy's commenting to Angel that a few of his men were a little bit rough on the Dromodar crew from earlier when they had captured the, the Dromodar's original crew. And Angel responds with, and I quote, hey, you throw a punch at a Kulas, it comes back with interest. <laughs> and Thrawn kind of mutters to, to Eli, What's, what, what is a Kulas? And Eli, this is a great moment, a moment of pure gold from our guy Eli Vanto, where he says, I don't know what either, some slang thing, I'd guess, probably means idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Eli's sock has just soared so much. It's just like the even when they're prisoners, his sass is just prime. Yeah, it's so good. It's like, I... Anyone who is on the fence about Eli Vanto, like if if that wasn't an objectively great moment from our guy, then <laughs> turn off the podcast. Uh, I thought that was I thought that was great. So 
anyway, that was <laughs> something it's, I just thought I'd know. It's a good chapter for Eli. It really is, and, and there's more of that to come. I know. Oh my uh, god, I can't wait to get to it. I know. So so yeah, we're back to the action. They're locked away, and with the original crew of the Dromedar, uh, Angel. Signy and co, they go back to the Dromadar. So they leave their pirate ship with the prisoners and some other henchmen there, and they jump to light speed on the, back on the Dromadar. So they have the Tabana gas, they're away with that, and so we're left with the pirate ship with uh, you know a handful of pirates manning the ship and Thrawn and co, prisoners inside the, uh, the cargo bay. And the Dromadar's former captain, Fitz, is, is being really rude to Thrawn here. That's no new thing everyone's everyone a ends up being rude, being rude, rude to a chiss right who would have thought it <laughs> which and that shows that you know there's still xenophobia outside it's not just from imperials to non-humans it, it spreads outside of that too it's such a um, fucking joke it literally blows my mind that it exists i know yeah like, exactly like, like, like the way that she's speaking to him right here like i'm just gonna quote yeah, him, go for it and she's just like hey bright eyes i'm talking to you <laughs> and then and he's like oh i'm real impressed with an imperial lieutenant and it's just like the way she's mouthing off to him is uh, that's another thing. Shocking. When, uh, when Angel shows up, too, he goes, what is that? Exactly. And Signy's <laughs> like, that is a naval imperial officer, you asshole. Thank like, you, Signy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It paints a really interesting picture, taking that, knowing that it's there, but then also going back to the Clone Wars and knowing they were equally as prejudiced to clones that you learn way later in Clone Wars. Yeah. Like, there's a whole hatred on Coruscant forums. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's just, humans are just pissed. They, they're just angry folk. Uh, I mean, kind of, you know, we see a lot of that yeah. <laughs> in in our galaxy, not yeah. so far, far <laughs> yeah, away, Yeah, no, that's right? true. Um, but that's that's a, a whole other rabbit hole. So Fitz, Captain Fitz, or I guess former Captain Fitz, former is Captain mouthing Fitz. off to Thrawn. And our guy Eli stands up for Thrawn multiple times. And the amazing thing is here, when he's telling Fitz, you know, watch your mouth. The so beautiful good. thing here is that he never raises his voice. Yeah. He, he just says it in this controlled, steady way that still commands respect from the, the rest of the Dromadar's original crew who's mouthing off a throne like they're subdued instantly they realize like oh, oh sorry I, I didn't mean it which props to Eli yeah, standing I, up for Thrawn. He's learning a lot. He's getting groomed. I like to think that by this point, Thrawn is sincerely and genuinely appreciative of the type of person that. But and I, I guess it almost beggars the point that he probably knew, that's how he saw Eli from the beginning, and it's yeah. why he wanted him to stay with him. We can assume. So I mean, we can he, assume he's always got the the bigger bigger picture, and and that's also an interesting point. Like, and maybe it should be touched on in, in later chapters if he if he'd seen that from the beginning, or if he realized as he went on, Eli's yeah, potential. He was seeing the mold. Yeah, which, and I we'll we'll see how that plays out. But um, Thrawn hears the Dromedar leave into hyperspace into light into light speed, and if we remember from the previous chapters when he was at the academy, he had an extra lieutenant plaque that he he had pocketed one. And he was he had like gotten an extra at the graduation. So we, Eli was wondering, wait, why do you just have an extra lieutenant plaque hanging around? And we find out the reason for it here. That Thrawn pulls it out, and Eli recognizes it as a beckon call. And for the listeners, uh, our first introduction to a beckon call in this book is when Eli's parents were visiting for his graduation. And it basically summons your ship to you. Yeah. Um, or in this case, it summons whatever the hell you program it God. to. It doesn't come to you because Thrawn pulls out this beck and call. <laughs> and Fitz says, and I quote, are you saying that your ship is close enough to call? No, that, that doesn't make any sense. And she Eli smiles. And Eli says, our ship is long gone, but that's not what he's calling. It's so good. I, I, I cheered so loudly when he said that. I was like, son of a bitch, you got buzz droids, don't you? Exactly. That is exactly what he uses the beck and call for. He summons 
a fucking buzz it's droid so good. that comes, you know, it it slices through the hull and just shoots towards them, summoned by this beckon call. And the buzz droid, yeah, it starts to slice open the bars of their cage, but it's making a lot of noise. And they know that too. The, Eli is saying, you know, this this is taking too long. And lo and behold, a few pirates show up and they're just like, what the hell? <laughs> like, yeah. They just see this buzz droid that they were totally not expecting. But then they snap out of it and they're about to open fire. And if I may real quick, when the yes. when the buzz droid shows up and he starts slicing and Eli says, this is taking too long. I actually really liked it. Thrawn acknowledges and agrees with him. Yes. So it was really cool seeing a plan that Thrawn had as kind of like a contingency. And even he is like, okay, not going exactly the way I yes. thought. And then when he's like, scampers around the cell and just like, try cutting over yeah. here? <laughs> what about right at the lock? I probably should have opened with that. Yeah. You probably should have done that originally. <laughs> Which, I mean, you know, he probably wouldn't have changed plan if it wasn't for, yeah, exactly, yeah. Eli pointing out, yeah, this is actually, you know, great plan, but there's still a catch. And it's just, it reminds me of like a, a puppy going after the dog, the, the yes. chew bone. Like he's just like, all right, go top right. I'm holding it above me. Go there. Yeah. And the buzz door like switches location wherever Thrawn's holding the beck and call, trying to slice open different parts. And, yeah. And the pirates show up. And Thrawn does this total badass move where he just flips the beck and call up over the pirate's head and it lands behind them. And the buzz droid, you know, it's, it's summoned by this device. It just shoots towards the pirates. And I just, I thought that was, I don't think buzz droids are that big anyway. I think I, I Googled them and they're like a quarter of a meter high. They're small, but you know, this they thing's got like spinning blades three. and all that. I, maybe I need to, to check. Listeners, if any of you know the height or the dimensions of a buzz droid, uh, then just please, uh, please correct me. Because yeah, now that or at least like the, look the size of like an astromech, comparatively, head, you know? yeah, relative to an astromech droid. But yeah, this buzz droid closed up and was just shooting towards these pirates, and they dive out of the way. While there's this confusion, Thrawn and Co. They kick open the uh, the cage where the buzz droid was able to weaken the bars, and they overpower the pirates. And. <laughs> I just I, I love that image of a buzz droid just flying towards them, and they're just like, "What?" <laughs> this was not <laughs> yeah. on the job description. And the chapter ends with Captain Fitz says, "You know, we don't have even with their blasters that we now have, we don't have enough firepower to overtake the rest of the pirate crew." And Thrawn says, and I quote. The pirates still forward of the entrance hatch will not be joining us. Even now, the entrance chamber and amidship section of the ship have been opened to vacuum. And <laughs> Vanto clarifies. As it happens, he also owns a second buzz droid. Yes. And first of all, I just want to bring up the quote. This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. <laughs> <laughs> There's a second buzz yes. droid that, that sliced open the amidship section of the ship, and it's just opened up to the, to the vacuum, and all the pirates, the rest of the pirates, have been sucked out into space. And I thought that was just a total badass way for that chapter to end, because now the ship is theirs. They found a way to hack into the control panel in the cargo bay that they're at, and they can pilot the ship from there, which I thought was, I, th I was a little confused by that, yeah. but it, maybe that's just a testament to Barlin and Lane Neo's abilities, because Thrawn had tasked them with hacking into the control system and being able to pilot the ship from there. So they have control of the ship. Yeah, it seemed, that it's seems like a hell of a job to do. Yeah, which you know, maybe just shows how competent these guys who, they're not necessarily under Thrawn's authority, but... Well, they are, it, they are technically, because he's the superior officer Yeah, that's on fair. Deck. That's fair. So it, maybe it's a test testament to the kind of skill and talent that Thrawn's able to nurture and help grow. So they have control of the ship, yeah. and two buzz droids. Wrecked shit, man. But it also is, props really to um, who? Which one was it? The he asked if I think it was Lainio uh, if they got a good look at the engineering room, 
Yeah. And he straight up said, like, yeah, I actually did. Yeah. Like, the no, fact yeah. that he was keeping his eye out for it, I thought was impressive. Because I was great. like, Theron, I hope one of your guys saw that because you're asking a very real question right now. And they're like, oh, no, yeah, I absolutely looked at Which it. Which is like, a good teammate. Especially when they're being, you know, uh, I don't know if that was when they were prisoner. When they were getting bored, uh, when they were getting yes, escorted yes. in. So they the were already cell. prisoners and Le Neo was being vigilant constantly and, so and, good. and recognized that. So testament to the guys that Thrawn has, has uh, under his leadership and authority. And that's kind of a call back to the internal monologue of this chapter where, and I quote, it says, such automatic response relies on trust between commander and those commanded. And that trust can only be obtained through leadership. And we see, first of all, what an incredible leader Thrawn can be and also how competent those that he's leading are and probably have been molded to be by his leadership. Yeah, it's like a self-perpetuating cycle yeah. of success. Which, you know, we don't want that from the Imperials, but it's still, I, yeah, it's it's still, it's still I think it's, it's great to see because we just also get why Thrawn is so effective in the Imperial Navy and also just effective as a character yeah. in general. That's all I have for Chapter 8. Are there any closing thoughts that you have uh, before we close up? Yeah. Shoot. Oh, um, the Blood Crow. Dude, it's Corellian. Really? Yeah, he, they say it on the, oh, um, shit. the opening of, uh, and I meant to bring it up earlier, but I'm just a dunce who... Uh, yeah, I, no dunces are allowed on this show. I'm going to have to... It is when they get their, their assignment. Um, oh, you're right. And he mentions, here we go. It's a Gazanti-class cruiser, the Blood Crow. And he mentions that it is, so Gazantis are Corellian designed about 64 meters long with dorsal and ventral laser turrets. They were built old. Most were of pre-Clone Wars manufacture, but they could still hold their own alongside new ships. So I love the fact that's that an nice. older ship is getting some love and also exactly. like Thrawn gets to walk it. Oh yeah. So that's cool. Two great iconic features now, you know, Thrawn, yeah. you know, not, not commanding, but you know, wrecking havoc whilst serving on a Corellian ship. I did not know that. That's yeah. why. That's why I have uh, <laughs> top quality guests on. Because I wouldn't have known <laughs> oh, that. So you. props to you, Cotter. Thank you for coming on the show. This thank was, you for having these me. These two chapters were great. I hope that. I mean, it sounds like you did enjoy it. Uh, and I love it. Again, this is like your first step into the book. But yeah. What, what do you What do you think of the book so far? Because there's a long way to go, but we've already got so much. In like you were saying earlier, in, in not a lot of writing. Yeah, he's able to leave a very lasting impression, which is a very important thing for a writer to be able to do. And I, I mean, I love it. It's I wasn't. I don't. I will say, and again, there is no form of this meant to be a negative thing. It's just what I'm personally used to. I'm used to more words and just yeah. having the reading be more heavy and daunting. So it's really refreshing having something that I'm like, oh, I'm just drinking a small glass of water and it's, oh, it tastes so good. There's so many flavors <laughs> here. But um, I, I've cheered and laughed like four, four damn times to this book. Yep. That's awesome. I just, Timothy Zahn created a perfect situation when in the Royal Academy when they go get, uh, to play cards. Yeah. And he pulls out the plaque yep. and puts it on and turns around. And I just, I, that mixed with this chapter, I'm just like, so it's filled with br brilliant yes. moments. Um, and then Pierce also. I'm really excited that Pierce is in this. Price. Price is what I literally meant to say, yes. Oh, God, I think I called her Pierce earlier, too. Uh, I mean, but I've now we know. I've never seen Star Wars. <laughs> I, don't know what, I, don't, I don't know what Star Wars is. But I, it's just it's really interesting seeing two characters that we know, and we're seeing them not the same that we know them as. Yeah. And it's, I just, I'm very interested. Cannot yeah. wait to finish it. Yeah, it is going to be a great ride. And I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how it develops as we go on, as we move forward in the show. But yeah, thank you for coming on the show, man. This was really, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. 
And listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you are interested in staying up to date on the show on social media, feel free to give our Twitter account a follow at Outer Rim Read Pod. And feel free also to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us, again, wherever you get your podcasts, but good reviews on Apple Podcasts really help other people who are interested in these kind of shows to, to find our show, to find Outer Rim Reads. So please do give us a good review. You can steal one of your friend's phones just to give a review if you don't have an iPhone or if you don't have iTunes. Um, just kidding. Don't actually steal someone's phone to do that. But feel free to give us a good review if you are enjoying the show so far. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha. It is edited by Andrew Geha. It is produced by Andrew Geha. And we will be back in two weeks with episode five. So until then, sit back and enjoy. There's a sabak table in the corner, but careful, you might not want to bet your ship. <laughs>